Welcome to the Mother Forkin' Podcast. Mother Podcast. Where we feed you some real shit on parenting. Hi, Celeste. Hello, Megan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. How are yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Hanging in there. Right? <laughs> it's been uh, a whirlwind. Um, this is actually our first, I think, recording since you and I basically took off all of July. Yeah, actually, um, maybe back in April is when we last recorded. So it's been a while. Goodness. Yeah, we're a little rusty then, huh? But I, I think we sound pretty good and we're right back <laughs> in it. Um, it's normal. Our yeah. listeners know. <laughs> right, right. Because the summers are always super busy for us. And, you know, kids are, we're traveling, kids are in daycare, kids are out of daycare because, oh, they've caught their hundredth cold within, you know, a, right? a Something. span. Yeah. So fun times, Some t- right? Some type of a viral kid infection or something, but uh, we're all hanging in and we're excited to record another episode for you guys. It's always like us catching up. So it's a hundred percent raw and real. We're <laughs> catching real. up at the same time as everyone else listening in. Yeah. Cause we don't really have time to do that. So yeah. Yeah. And today, very excited. I know you and I had spoken briefly last night about this upcoming conversation that we are about to have right now uh, with Dr. Gertrude Lyons, who is a master life coach and relationship expert. She has more than 20 years of experience. So definitely need someone like that in our lives at this moment between our spouses and (laughs) our kids. And she's going to be talking with us about um, mother code and mothering and motherhood. So through her rewriting the mother code initiative is what it's called. Dr. Lyons has become a national mothering revolutionary, and she challenges the myths surrounding womanhood, motherhood, and the notion of what it means to be a mother. So it's Dr. Lyons belief that all women have this mother code that's instilled in them in the current model for mothering in our culture is, is broken is what her belief is. And it's limited constricting and disempowering, which I can see that. And she questions preconceived beliefs and leans into topics that will tap into the powerful women or femininity in all of us. And Dr. Lyons is also a lead faculty member, senior life coach and director of family programs for the right foundation for the realization of human potential. So welcome to the Mother Forking podcast, Dr. Lyons. It's great to have you here. Oh my gosh. It's such a thrill. Thank you, Megan and Celeste. I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Thanks for having Thank me. You. And this is like Megan said, like we are going through this constantly. So we <laughs> have some questions for you and sure. we are so excited about today's conversation. Yeah. So why don't we kick it off a little bit with you telling us a little bit more about yourself, maybe how many kids you have, how you even got into the work of being this master life coach that specifically empowers women and mothers. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you. So I am the mother of two daughters and they are ages 22 and 25. (laughs) I know that's probably hard to imagine with the age kids you have. Cause I know I couldn't imagine that they'd ever be these adult women. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> <It's though>. crazy. <laughs> um, but you know, it's my journey with them and, you know, not because I did it perfectly, but really because I looked back and saw, Oh, wow. There's, there's some big areas that I missed. Mm. Um, even, even though I, you know, was coaching other women to it that I avoided, but we can get into that in a minute. But I, um, you asked, how did I, you know, come to be a, a master coach and a, and a life coach, and then particularly in this mothering space, but that all began uh, 30, what's now 32 years ago, when my husband and I did premarital counseling. And that mm. came about because my boss, uh, my new boss, I really only had been working for him for about a year. And I was in a completely different space of um, expert expert witness testimony. And I was a economic analyst um, in personal injury and wrongful death cases, providing juries with, um, you know, some guidance on what they could, what they could, or, you know, maybe should provide people that have suffered in injuries and wrongful deaths. So sounds way different from what I'm doing now. (laughs) 
Um, but it was, the short story is that between my husband and I engaging in our own growth work, you know, our own um, uh, personal growth development, which first started as a couple, us creating a vision for our marriage and doing something that was completely out of the box for us. And it, it wasn't even called coaching then it was called, you know, it was couples therapy, it was counseling and, you know, doing something kind of outrageous like that, but seeing just immediate immense benefit and then staying with it and continuing to do our work as individuals and as a couple, and then as a family. But along the way in my work as an economic analyst and working with the people that were going through what they were going through, I was applying what the work I was doing to myself with them and kind of, I guess, you know, coaching on the side, you know, as, as part of my, the work I was doing, gathering the data that I needed to. So at the birth of my first daughter, I took just a really small amount of time, but I really worked uh, as until I got pregnant with my second daughter then. And I said, nope, I'm going to take some time away from work and maybe come back and do this, but I'm really liking more of this people aspect than the numbers aspect. So I um, got my first master's degree in psychology. Thought, you know, I, I want to get the academics behind everything I've been experiencing and was starting to do, you know, kind of as adjunct faculty um, in a more volunteer sort of way at the Wright Foundation. And while getting that degree, I started just kind of dabbling and coaching and working part-time and it's really kind of evolved from there, you know, and then, um, just to name, to get you, to get us to the present, that through that first master's where I focused on maximizing the potential in couples and families, it was really kind of, you know, my first foray into it. And then our organization started a graduate university where I could get a doctorate and, but I had to get another master's degree first. I'm like, oh my God, no, <laughs> you know, I just did one, but <laughs> no. Uh, and this one was hugely beneficial, but it was at the end of that, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with school. But then I had an epiphany that, um, I was coming, you know, nearing, I could see that right down the line was, you know, our daughters would be leaving and, and we would, I would be broaching this next phase of my life. So I kind of looked back, you know, saw this gap in my own development and decided that I want to focus on that for myself, you know, and hopefully raise women's awareness of the, the growth opportunity, the transformational opportunity in mothering. And through that, all the things that you mentioned, you know, in my bio came to be, it's like, whoa, like we are really up against it, you know, let alone to try and just do basic self-care, let alone mm -hmm. think about, you know, going into this, you know, much even more vulnerable, deeper space of growing ourselves up and doing our own internal work along with our children. So I did, I did it. I got that doctoral degree and now um, this is what I've been doing. And I, I do all sorts of coaching still, but, you know, this focus on um, empowering women, empowering mothering and seeing you know, what we are really up against and, but what also is possible when we, when we dive into that arena and that space. Which is so important. First of all, congratulations on all of that. And I'm yeah, so going to say congratulations. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And to, to have become a doctor in your field and everything, that's, that's a lot of work I imagine. So, so congratulations. And the fact that you are doing this work I mean, being a mother myself, and I know hearing Celeste and I talk and have several conversations about motherhood and then even, you know, throwing our spouses in there and everything, it's, it's hard. It is difficult. So having someone like you in that space is definitely very beneficial and helpful for women like us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was going to also say that I think it's very beautiful that you've allowed yourself to kind of, um, follow that passion. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that really impacts others because they see that you are hundred percent in it. You're for them, you know, you're going through your own journey. So that means a lot. And I'm excited yeah. to um, dive into one of the questions that I have, um, sure. for you having the experience that you have, 
Um, how would you say that um, the challenges or just the pressures of um, motherhood have changed since, you know, 20, 30 years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, to me, what I've found is women are kind of coming up against, and I'll name some of them, you know, the same as what I have only more intensified because of things like social media and, mm. you know, so it's, it's both a benefit and a, and a curse, I think mm -hmm. to, to mothers, right. Because on the positive side, what I've seen are, you know, more resources, um, you know, some real conversations that are going on, um, through, you know, groups and spaces, you know, online, um, whereas before, you know, if you didn't get together with, you know, other moms or other women in person, you know, you really didn't have that contact. So it can be very isolating. So the fact that, you know, there's expanded opportunities for, for connection and support, I think is great. Um, at the same time, there's that much more information, right? Like right. there's, you know, you, you Google mothering and, you know, I don't even, I can't remember the figure now, but it's a gazillion, right? Like there's so, you know, and this pressure to do it right has been there all this time. But I think now that so much more information is available and you see kind of these images, you know, whether everything from, um, you know, like stars and, you know, people in the limelight to the everyday, you know, friends and that on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, still putting the, the only the positive out there and, you know, the pretty pictures, yeah, the like highlight that, that real, yeah. the highlight real, yeah. you know, and no matter how much we know in our mind, like we know it's not like that. We still right. kind of think it could be, or it should be, or do I even have moments like they're showing mm -hmm. ever? And, you know, it, I, one of the biggest myths that I identified was that we have somehow ingrained in us that there is some right way mm -mm. to do this. And that it's more of like a test and, you know, that we're inevitably going to, to fail at because there's so many, there's no real guidelines on what that test is other than kind of what we see or what we were, you know, raised with believing what our culture tells us. So, um, I, I, that's a start, you know, kind of, no. I would say those are some of the differences and that are both positive and negative. And it's it, going to the social media aspect. I mean, I'm, I, that's what I do for work is social mm -hmm. media. So, and then I'm also outside of my work. I really, I have a hobby that involves social media. So it's tough because yeah, you're always on there and you're always comparing yourself to everyone's highlight reel. And we all know we shouldn't do that. And it robs us of all of our joys and, oh my gosh, I'm a bad mother. And what am I doing? I'm not doing this right. And even down to the things like my, my, one of my closest friends, she always shares like the arts and crafts stuff that she does with her kids and how she's oh, so organized yes. and she labels everything. And don't get me wrong. That's amazing. If I could do that, totally. my goodness, I would love to. <laughs> However, she's also a teacher and she's a teacher of, I think like first or second grader. So she, she has that really embedded in her. She knows how to do it. Yeah. And then I'm over here, like, let's go to the park. <laughs> let's not let's yeah. stay far away from that <laughs> table and doing arts and crafts as, as much as we can. Cause it's just not me. It's not my thing. Sure. So you think you it can. should be mm -hmm. like you see yeah. it and, but we don't know how to just admire that. And um, and acknowledge it. We take it as a kind of a personal affront, you know, mm, yeah. and, and even, you know, and not to lie, cause I, I've done this, do it right. That, um, we're competitive, but it's not okay mm -hmm. as women to be openly competitive right. and, you know, which could then take us down the line of like, well, how do you do, I get that you're a teacher, but if I were even going to start doing what you're doing, I don't know where to begin. Yeah. And, you know, to, or yeah, I see how you're doing it, but if I take it on, I'm going to do it better. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, men just have are raised with more permission to speak that way, you know, mm -hmm. and, and be out there more. And unfortunately, I think it's one of my other myths is, you know, that this collective of women and mothers are, you're, is always a supportive community because it's not, you know, and, and that don't get me wrong is I think, you know, comes out of our insecurity or this you know, not enoughness mm -hmm. that we feel. So then we compare ourselves and judge them. 
totally you know, versus just like, Hey, let's just be openly competitive about it, you know, yeah. or, you know, and, and there's ways we can be cooperative and, and use our, our, um, you know, kind of more innate feminine skills in it. But I, this is new territory, I think for us, but I, I think it, if we can move toward being on one team, we're all going to benefit. Yeah, I agree. Allowing everyone to shine in their own way and accepting that that's not you and that's not mm -hmm. how you do things, but they're doing it wonderfully. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do want to um, acknowledge what you said that, um, that that there is no right way to mother. And I think that we need to mm -hmm. hear that more and hear it and hear it and remind ourselves, you know, because we're all coming from different backgrounds and from different upbringings and from different traumas. So uh, we have to constantly remind ourselves to be the best, um, you know, versions of ourselves as mothers. Because a lot of times too, I feel like my, most of my journey as a mother, which it's not that long, <laughs> I have a almost four-year-old, but a lot of it has uh, been unlearning um, parenting or, yes. or the way, you know, my mother or, or just my should upbringing. be. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not to say that they weren't amazing parents. Um, they did what they could in the times that they had, right? So um, I do want to ask, like in the same um, lane of, you know, just what we're talking about in general, um, talking about the traditional um, mothering and breaking away from those patterns. Um, so I want to talk yeah. more about like, even just this applies for every mom, right? Like I'm a stay at home mom right now who kind of works part time um, with, you know, my hobby as well. And then um, even for the working mom, we need to hold space for this conversation because we can easily fall into that place of judgment and feeling like mom guilt, like we're not doing enough in either lane. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Well, there were so many questions and, or, you know, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just question. kind of went all out. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I'm, going, I'm trying to go back to where you started because you ended on mom guilt. And I think it's, it's all related, but start there. And then if I missed where you were at the beginning, we can go back to it. Um, yeah. Because I, I think the, the right way to mother, and I think those go hand in hand, right? That's what it was, you know, underlining again, more around, because if, it, and we think the right way, and this is a lot of what rewrite the mother code, you know, where the crux of it comes is we had codes written in us because we, the way we were raised is what's wired in us. Right. So that could have been wonderful. Not no mother caregiver, you know, situation is going to be perfect and there's dysfunction in every family. And that's, you know, it's just kind of how it is. And what we end up doing unless we go on kind of more of an inward journey is we react to the way we were parented, the way we were mothered. So we're either going to say, oh, I didn't, I didn't like, I, I didn't like that. So I'm going to do it the exact opposite or wow. You know, that I, I'm just kind of in the sea that I was raised in and I'm unconsciously doing, you know, what the same thing that I was raised with. And when we can go on a journey to go back and look at that and actually consciously assess it and allow some of the things that went on in my upbringing that are unconscious and conscious. And can I continue to identify, you know, what, what was the wiring, you know, how, how is that impacting me now, you know, not to, you know, bash our parents or, you know, put our mothers down, but to really collect the data, you know, and to, and that journey can go as deep as you want, you know, or as deep as you're willing to go into that. Cause it can involve healing. It can involve, um, you know, really having the feelings that you didn't have and a, a whole gamut of things, but consciously I can create a vision for myself, for my mothering. I can start orienting toward my values. What, what matters to me really? And and I can look at, you know, the, what the path that was laid before me and consciously choose like, yeah, there were, I, I like this about that, you know, let's bring that in. I don't like this. And out of that, as I said, create a vision, then we're not so externally focused the mom guilt comes in and this right way is like we were talking about earlier, the media, the um, other parents, our parents, our families, you know, and our friends 
we're looking outside of ourselves for how we're supposed to do it versus inside of ourselves. We have to get to know that inside, you know, sometimes as scary as it is, sometimes vulnerable it is because it's going to provide us that really much deeper guidance. We're getting to the, to the meat of this conversation, which I'm really excited about um, because I, again, like I said, I've noticed that like a lot of my growth personally um, you know, we like to think that we're always evolving and, and growing and, and having that in our life, but sure. definitely parenthood. And um, I think it's just as important to encourage our partners to do the same. I think a lot of us struggle with the um, with the the part of getting our partners to, like you were saying, you have to find that internally, that growth in order for your whole family to receive that as well, mm-hmm. especially yes. if, you know, you're willing to to work the best that you guys can as a unit. Um, so I think that that's also a difficult part for many of us. Um, if the partner, you know, the person that we love and hundred percent, you know, you know, you're, you're with that person, you're committed to them Mm -hmm. is kind of on a different level and, and having those conversations is, is hard for a lot of us. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So how then can we normalize having those hard conversations with our partners or spouses? Yeah. You know, the you were just mentioning when you're on kind of different growth trajectories or, you know, one's one of you might be, you know, going into it more earnestly or I guess just, you know, more earnestly and with more intention than the other, some of that skill then is how to invite them into deeper conversations, how Mm -hmm. to, you know, be satisfied in, actually connecting and relationships and get on the same page. And because sometimes we'll, we'll, we might start orienting to like, they have to change and this isn't going to work until they change. I mean, we, you know, sometimes it gets there, but there's a lot of work we can do individually um, from the standpoint of how do I get myself expressed and heard? Am I willing, you know, to be as raw and open and vulnerable knowing that that's for myself, you know, in, in, and in relationship um, there's, an author, one of my favorite couples books or relationship books is um, Passionate Marriage by David Schnarch. I think I'm saying that right. And he we'll, calls, we'll look it up. Yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Um, it's such a funny last name. I always feel like I'm saying it wrong that he identifies something called self-validated intimacy, you know, and, you know, in our own development and our own you know, individuating our own coming into knowing ourselves that when we're in relationship, it's this beautiful opportunity to practice self-validation, right? That I'm not sharing these things with you so that I get something back and have to have that kind of return in order to feel okay or validated. Now, it may then become my path to, to go for that, but that's, you know, a next level of then I want to be met, you know, and I'm one of, I'm going to follow a, what I, what we call a yearning, you know, to connect and, and to be met. And how do I, as I'm going to say, you know, a woman or partner on the other side, invite them into that conversation. And usually, you know, there's reasons that they're wanting to avoid those kind of more raw, riskier conversations for, you know, their own wiring and history and, and what can I do to help break through that, knowing that that's as much for me as it is for them. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I think the broader perspective, you know, to have in mind, but I think takes away from takes us out of the, um, I have to change them paradigm, which I think we can get caught up in, or, you know, mm-hmm. that can be kind of a trap for us. Totally. And, um, I will say the whole marriage counseling thing, I think works wonders. Um, I just, uh, on my end, I would love to actually get my husband to stick to that because, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, he tends to put, uh, uh, he has other priorities, meaning his work is like, oh, you know, I've got a meeting, so I can't make it this day. And then it wouldn't sure. be just like an every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, it would be like, well, let's see if it fits my schedule. But for me, it's like, if you really want to put in that work 
and be on the same page, then you just got to water that grass. (laughs) Would you know? I have a question for you, Dr. Lyons. Um, Would you say that um, that, because I experienced the same thing too, is, you know, who wouldn't want their partner to be the best version of themselves? And in order, again, everyone, everyone receives from that. Um, But would you say that's also part of maybe them breaking the pattern of traditional fathering in some point as well? Right. Well, right. There's beliefs wired in there that getting support is not manly or, you Mm -hmm. know, not okay. For some reason it means you're broken. I should be able to figure these things out myself or, you know, all of us have some shortage or hindrance in our upbringings around our emotions. And, you know, we inherently know that going into this territory is going to, you know, whether we're overtly conscious of it or not, which is why like, oh, I'm too busy for those sessions, you know, because, oh, it's really, um, if we tell the honest truth for any of us, it's I'm scared. I, this is unknown. Uh, you know, I feelings are safe or, you know, that we have unspoken beliefs around what it's really gonna, the, where it's gonna take us. And we can have compassion for that. And when I, you know, and, and try and create a space. So there's two things that were coming up for me as, as you both were sharing were one, you know, I found that because my, so I'll share a little bit about myself because I, he did immediately, my husband then fiance did immediately say yes to these, you know, premarital sessions and a lot was stirred up. I, I don't know about you all, but what just in planning a wedding, you know, brought mm. so many <laughs> family patterns and dynamics and my relationship with my mother that was, mm. you know, pretty, um, well, it very enmeshed and, you know, dysfunctional was right there in the forefront. Right. So we, you know, that was immediately to be addressed. And then I was really clear, like, whoa, this, you know, I got to do this work. And our couples coach at the time said, you know, couples coaching therapy is only going to go so far. It really is about doing your individual work. Right. So I was like, yeah, I'm on board. And he was like, okay, yeah, clearly you have this issue with your mother or, you know, and whatnot. It's obvious, but I think I'm, I think I'm good now, you know, we're, we're good. And it was like, okay, but I, I did it for myself and I stayed on it now. And, you know, he had resistance for a time until I, you know, committed myself to it in such a way that he saw me changing. He saw that um, he was able to let himself see or open himself at least a notch to say something good was going on here. And I will honestly say for him, there was an element of competition and there was an element of like, whoa, if I could lose her, if, if I don't join. So, Mm. you know, he, he did make that choice. So I didn't have to totally confront like you know, uh, a complete, like, no, I'm never doing that. Um, but I think one of the things I would say is it, it took me being totally unconflicted consciousness that I needed to do this for myself, you mm-hmm. know, for at least for some time, because I, I don't know how to deal with him until I know myself fully. <laughs> yeah. And that actually kind of reminds me of myself. And yeah. when I was living in Houston, I, we both were like, all right, let's go see marriage counselor. So we did that. And then again, it fizzled out because, you know, work. And then I was like, you know what? I really like it. I benefit from it. It makes me feel good. So I'm just going to continue on my own. And then after a few sessions and everything, I would talk to my husband and be like, what about you? Are you, you know, what do you think? And, and he, he'd always say, yeah, yeah, I'll look into it. And then he did. And then he stuck with it for maybe three times. And then that was it. And then it just kind of ended. But I thought, for sure. Okay. Well, if I'm going to go, then maybe he's going to see how great things are going and then he's going to go. But I just, it, it's frustrating when your partner just doesn't, I mean, he sees the value, but he's just like, Oh, just it's basically, it doesn't seem like it's worth his time because he doesn't make the time for it. So, um, but I really want to get to this subject. Sure. Um, talking about mommy rage, (laughs) I am, and this is something that my therapist told me a while ago is that I am like a volcano where I just, you know, I let things go for that time, that 
being that really makes me upset, but then I really end up holding on to it. And then all of a sudden it just like spews out of me. So when it comes to our children, especially in the fact that, so I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old and they are always fighting and at each other's throats and everything, even though they supposedly love each other. Um, but it's just, it's challenging. I have always had a hard time keeping my feelings at bay, trying to mask how I feel. I just, I wear my expressions, my thoughts, my feelings on my sleeve. I just say it, that's it. (laughs) Um, but I would love to really spend more time on this mommy rage. And I actually want to give a very real, uh, very recent experience. It just happened this morning. Um, of course, COVID's going around at our kids' daycare. It's going around everywhere. And then um, I'm a little freaked out about that. And I want my kids to be healthy. I want us to stay healthy. So we're getting ready. We're going to daycare. They always complain about going, but then by the end of the day, they seem like they've been having a great time. So we're on our way. Our kid, our oldest child, uh, Adrian, who's four, is entering pre-K next week. So he'll be going to a completely different school. Meanwhile, he's still at this daycare. And he, as we arrive, and, and mind you, he did just lose one of his teachers. She went on to a different, totally different school system. And so he was a little upset about that. But once we got to daycare, he was like, I don't want to go in. And he just starts crying. And I'm like, and on top of all this, I have a conference call. I need to be back on and I'm, you know, at home for, and I'm already running late there. So there's all that going on. And instead of me and, and I, I keep reflecting on this, I feel terrible about it, but instead of me just saying, you know what, this is my child. He comes first. I need to make sure he's okay. I am like grabbing all his stuff, taking his little brother to a class, try to go bring him to his class. He doesn't want to go in because his regular teacher isn't there. He's afraid that he's going to have to switch to a different classroom because apparently that's what they told him, which is also frustrating for me. Like, don't, don't say that to a child if it's really not happening and come to find out it wasn't happening. He was going to still stay in his same room. But anyway, long story short, I, flew off the handle internally. I was like, I could feel myself because there were just, like I said, it was so chaotic in there. Anyway, things were just going. And instead of taking the time for me to just stop, breathe, relax and addressing his concerns and making sure that he was okay. I just rushed it. And I, you know, was like, you're going to be fine. It's okay. And I I eventually after kind of feeling all those feelings, I did slightly take a step back because I did pull him out of the room. And I said, listen, you are okay. You're staying in this room. It's you're going to be fine. You've got your friends there. I see one of your best friends. Mateo is right there. You can go up to him and play with him. You're going to remain in this classroom for the day. It's going to be okay. Mommy and daddy will be back later to pick you up. And then he seemed to calm down after that. And then I gave him a hug and kiss and it was fine. But after, when I got out to the car, I was like, oh, I could have handled that so differently and so much better. And then ever since then, I mean, this was like nine 30 this morning and now it's like 1241 and I'm like, uh, still thinking about it, still beating myself, beating myself up over it. So I know that was really long-winded. I apologize, no, it- but I feel oh, like I needed don't. to talk about it and I'm so glad you did get some insight. I mean, it's real. It like happens. That. It happens. Like you said, this morning, literally it's constantly happening. Yeah. And I think so many moms and women can relate, which I'm, yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm so, and there's so much as you kept going, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, there's this and there's this and yeah, you know, there's no easy answer, you mm-hmm. know, to this, but I, I, I can definitely offer some perspectives, um, one, just even how you, you know, what you said at the end, like I got to the car, I'm still kind of feeling, you know, guilty about this mm-hmm. or, you know, upset. I could have handled that better and, and feeling bad for your son. And, and, you know, so one, I want to celebrate, of course, you know, you're caring, right. And you want to provide the best experience opportunity and, and, uh, reassurance. And as you were talking about, you know, reassuring him, like, Hey, look, there's your friend. And and this, um, somewhere in there, we totally missed the opportunity that you both needed reassurance. Mm. You know, you both were going through something, uh, a transition 
moment that was really stressful, you know, that, that, and both of you had a lot, were having a lot of feelings. Now he's still at an age where it's kind of more okay for him to overtly express like, uh, yeah, I don't want to, and you know, and, and no, and, <laughs> and whether, you know, it's having a tantrum or just being upset and, and so many of us, like, you know, we don't, it's a skill to learn how to, you know, regulate that without just thinking we're just supposed to shut it down. So yeah. one, I, I have this belief, I'm just supposed to shut my emotions down so I can be there for him. Mm-hmm. And then, then I just want him to like, be okay, quote unquote, right. As if him having his feelings about it isn't okay, but I don't accept those feelings very often within myself. So, you know, we, we have this tendency to just kind of want to fix it rather yeah. than be in it together. And you know, when, especially, you know, the, the pressure of knowing you have this phone call, you know, and, and that it, it, it there, you know, our kids are very also sensitive <laughs> to what's kind of going on with us. So by way of, you know, in the moment, being able to tend to ourselves in a, in a high stress situation like this, and, and that's what we need to name it, right? We, 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 need to have a lot of compassion for these kind of inflection points or these moments like this where a lot suddenly like, you know, comes to the forefront and it's skills we can work on that. So that in the moment, you know, the, and I'm going to say this as kind of an ideal sense, right. It mm-hmm. is that as things are starting, you know, to kind of go down or, or realize, you know, you know, in the back of your mind, like I need this transition to go smoothly so I can get back to my call. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you already have a certain level of anxiety, uh, you know, about that. So then when it starts to not go that way, yeah. you know, my anxiety builds. So how do I tend to that for myself? And, you know, the, something that we can do in the moment, but still, I'm going to say, you know, it, it take some practice is identifying that emotion for ourselves, because we're now we're headed toward uh, uh, what, what I'm going to call a, a hijack, right? So in the neuroscience aspect of it, it's an amygdala hijack. Where now we're in, we're going to go right to that primal, um, you know, lower level brain functioning of like, oh, yeah, how do I, you know, fright, fight, fright, flight, freeze, right? Yeah. And uh, those instincts are are going to come to the forefront, and unless I, you know. And, you know, what I want to practice and build the muscles for in that moment is, is literally just to name I'm scared, mm. you know, cause really underneath it all, like I'm afraid, I'm afraid for him. I'm afraid for myself in this call and I'm afraid. And when we can just even say that to ourselves or say it out loud, like, wow, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm scared in this moment. It, it's going to, it's going to help bring our brain back to some higher level functioning um, and give us more choices, at least, you know, a little more requisite variety of like how we can handle this. Right. And, and then it isn't just this, like, you know, um, a life or death choice of be with him, be with the call. I I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm going to make this choice and I'm going to make the best choice I can. And, you know, work may be mad at me. My son may be mad at me, but this is what I feel like is, you know, the best thing I can do in this moment, but, well, it's, and then along, it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off, but no. it's funny that you say that kind of labeling it, labeling how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I finally dropped off my other child, so I didn't have to worry about him anymore. Yeah. And then now I have a little bit of time and focus on my oldest who's having the hard time. And when I got down to his level and was looking at him in the eyes, I told him, I said, look, I am frustrated and I'm sad for you, for us, for this situation, because like I said, I had mentioned COVID because you can't fully go into the classroom because of COVID and everything. So you have to wait by the door because he was like, why can't you come in with me? And that's when I got down in his level. And I was like, I know that you're frustrated, buddy. And I said, and sad. And I was like, I am frustrated and sad with you and for you and for this whole situation. I said, but you know, and then we, you know, I went on to the regular, the rest of the conversation, but, Mm -hmm. um, once I did get that, okay, yes, this is how I'm feeling. Um, maybe it was like in the back of my mind. Cause then I realized and was like, okay, just let go. 
You know, it's, it's a call. It's okay. And oh, well, if you miss it or are a few minutes late, it's okay. (laughs) I'm okay. Right. right? And and that's the getting back to like, they'll be okay. But I have to be, I have, it's telling myself I'm okay. Yeah. And And I feel like like giving yourself that. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I feel like not enough of us, um, even allow ourselves to have that thought that Mm. it is, I am scared. I am scared. I'm scared for you. And then in like speaking from my personal experience, I feel like a lot of times we forget to verbally express that to our kids, whether they're young or even teenagers sometimes with, I mean, I don't have one yet. So I'm just assuming you probably feel like you need to be picking up on these things, you know, like it's common sense. But for me, sometimes I I catch myself not really speaking it to them because I'm like, they're not going to understand anyways. But it's always amazing how you said that, um, that your children, like they pick up on that energy. And when I express myself in that way, he's like, Oh, I know, like I felt that before. (laughs) So it makes everyone kind of pause and um, reevaluate what's really happening in those situations. And for me personally, I struggle with, um, you know, being a stay at home mom. So by the end of the day, I am done. Like I am fried. I am like, I don't want to hear anyone else. I don't want to hear, you know, and and then you got to think about their, um, at that moment, they're exhausted. Like they're tired. They're cranky. They really don't want to eat. They want to fight you on bedtime. And so, um, I feel like that's when I catch myself exploding the most. So what would you say, um, for, for those daily everyday common, like things that happen all the time, um, what would be like a nice tip or reminder to catch yourself in that moment? Yeah. And similar, what we were just, you know, talking about with, with Celeste was, you know, those high pressure moments. Right. But we forget (laughs) that through our, Oh, I'm sorry, Megan. Uh, Megan, um, (laughs) Celeste, you just asked that, um, that we're having many high pressure moments throughout our day. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're building, we, we have to not have to, I hate using that word, what can support us is building in through our days and not rather than wait for those, those explosions or high pressure moments, where can I give myself little doses of connection with myself? Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether I'm aware that I'm feeling anything in any moment, how can I start something where through my day, maybe once, even, even if I do it once or twice in my day, I stop, I check in inside, like, what am I feeling right this moment? Or what, if I review, you know, maybe it's noon. And if I look back on this day, where did I, and I help in my coaching, you know, work with women, individuals to identify five primary emotions, fear, hurt, anger, sadness, and joy. And we can talk about those, but, you know, getting a vocabulary around those three and acclimated toward them, when I can identify them and get in the habit of identifying them, it's, I'm giving myself, um, I'm giving myself something. I'm acknowledging that my feelings matter, that I'm having them, that, um, you know, being home all day, you know, with a child is stressful. You know, it, it, it has its, you know, beautiful moments and it's challenging for sure moments throughout the day. And I, I might not get like a big break in the day, but I can take little moments, you know, through the day so that when we get to that end of the day, and then as your children, you know, gain vocabulary at something you can do together, you know, you can do it for yourself and then you can bring your children into it around looking at their day and looking back and saying, where, where have I felt each one of those emotions in my day? And we can all start practicing it and it's, it's, you know, good self-care and it also helps us know each other and bring ourselves closer to one another. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I I need to definitely go back and, uh, rewind that part episode, right? Yeah. Especially (laughs) that part and, uh, take major notes. I mean, I jotted a couple things down while you were talking, but uh, yeah, I need to basically re replay that. All well, that. I'm glad you're saying that because it's, you know, it sounds simple, but it's not easy, right? Mm. These are unpracticed muscles. This is like saying, Hey, I'm going to like go in the gym and just be able to start like lifting heavy weights, you know, and, yeah. or we might like judge ourselves like, well, of course I should, you know, know my emotions and, and whatnot, but no, we're, we're all, and some of them I may have more access to than others, but this is, this is very new muscle building for all of us. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, strengthening and building of um, no matter where we're at. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and like we've always talked about in many episodes, that's why we're always like, life's so busy, we can't catch a break. Um, that leads to burnout. And burnout mm-hmm. is the worst. Like, I, I it's yeah. so funny that like, we, we laugh about it all the time. But our episodes always correlate kind of like what we're going through seasonally. And yeah. I'm yeah. currently going through all of the above. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it leads to, you know, I, I kind of had this like moments of resentment towards my husband. And um, we've been disconnected because of it lately. And mm-hmm. so um, hearing this episode and like doing the work together recently has been, I don't know, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. And and how like yeah. we have this episode with you and, and it's great reminders for everyone because we're constantly going through it. Um, it never ends, you know, cause that's nope. part of being, you know, human, like you have ups and downs and you need to know uh, what tools you can um, use for when those moments arrive. And um, what I do want to ask is, sure. what are some tips um, that you can leave with us and our audience to connect with your partner when we can't find time or, you know, finances or just the energy yeah. to be together connected? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, all of us, I don't know, you know, where we, we, because I, I do the same thing, right? Like, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that. Like, really, um, there's always more to explore in that. And it's usually a lie, right? Because mm-hmm. we make time for a lot of things. So true. But, you know, it, so it is our intention, you know, and, and but then to have compassion, like there's a reason I'm not making time for this or we're not right. Um, but something my husband and I have, have, um, I will say, you know, through the course of our marriage, um, haven't been consistent at like at 100%. But we have for the last like several years been very consistent with it and we see a huge impact getting back onto it. And that is, you know, after hearing a very sobering statistic is that um, on average, a married couple spends no more than 17 minutes a week on non-logistical conversations. And that's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy. Right. But, uh, and this, this data, this was like a while ago. So I, I think now with even that much more mm. social media and that it, it could be less. Um, yeah. so, you know, we looked for practices that could help, you know, build that, you know, and, and add more of that kind of conversation that we're all yearning for and everything, you know, you two have been speaking about, you know, we have this yearning for more connection, but we let, we let other things um, get in the way of us making those connections. So a practice that my husband and I have is that we take 10 minutes total, but we literally like set a timer for five minutes each where he just listens and I talk for five minutes. Now, you know, I, uh, we have an agreement that we're not going to talk about our schedule or logistics, but I can talk about feelings I'm having about my schedule or my logistic. I can talk about, you know, feelings that I had about my job or something that happened, you know, with our kids, you know, or, and things along those lines. And um, it surprises me every time, you know, because there's times we'll kind of get off that habit and then we come back to her like, oh my gosh, it just it bridges a gap and it allows, you know, time and space that we know that uh, if historically we may not make that connection at all in a day, we at least had that 10 minutes and it's so nourishing. And everyone that I know that, you know, starts that practice says the same thing. They're shocked at how um, it kind of, you know, keeps a through line through. We can, we stay more, um, you know, on top of what's going on in each other's lives. And then, you know, next, I, I actually also, you know, suggest that you do have a date night um, once a week and have, you know, more of a focused time together. But then we're also not waiting for that date night. You know, we're not waiting all week for that. We have some time where we've just made a little, it doesn't cost us anything. Um, and we know it's ridiculous to, that we, if when we're not doing it, that we can't find 10 minutes in our day. Um, so that's I love that my biggest tip. Right? Yeah. I think that's awesome. And something I feel like I should definitely implement with uh, my husband, because 
every single time I try to talk with him and the kids are around, it's like, they, they are like, well, they're going to talk to each other. So now I'm going to interrupt. And it happens every single time. And you, we just don't have a conversation. And then by the time at night, when they're in bed, I mean, our youngest doesn't want daddy to leave the room at all. So then Mm. daddy ends up falling asleep in there and then I'm in bed and I end up falling asleep. And then we don't even have a conversation. And then also your point about date night. I love that. I love that idea. I, when we first moved from Houston to Tulsa, I had told my husband, Christo is his name. I was like, Hey, Mm. we need to make sure that we implement a date night at least once a month. And he's like, yep, yep. And then it didn't happen because we just don't know a soul here and Mm. our family's not here. So, and then the, when we had our nanny during the week, it was like, okay, great. But now to ask her to stay extra on Friday or even come in on a Saturday, we don't feel right about that. So we just didn't do it. Um, but mm. any chance we get and like our, if our parents are visiting or like we're in Maine and visiting family there and we're together, we're like, all right, let's go on a date, <laughs> yeah. but difficult, Super important, difficult. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, if you have the capacity, I, I always, you know, suggest, and I, you know, resources can be a challenge and, you know, trust level, but, you know, I always tried to have kind of what I call the stable of caregivers, yeah. you know, or, or sitters that I, you know, have spent some time with my kids that I felt okay about. Mm-hmm. So like you said, I'm not stretching my, my week, my, my nanny that's with them all week, but can I find, you know, and usually you need a few because it's a weekend, you know, and some options. So logistically like giving yourselves um, a little bit more of that opportunity or you know it takes a lot more intention but you know saying that okay the Saturday night's our date night we don't have a sitter when the kids are in bed we're going to take an hour you know where we're not you know watching tv or you know watching something and and just being together and you know that's not the most easy uh (laughs) right thing to thing to do Yeah. The, I mean, this entire conversation has been amazing. It's very important and very informative and definitely needed. I know I needed it. I think Celeste, you mentioned you did too. Mm -hmm. Uh, but before we go and uh, apologies about the, um, you know, internet going in and out, but before we go, where Mm -hmm. can our audience find you and, and connect with you? Yeah. So thank you so much. And um, so social media wise, I'm at Dr. Gertrude Lyons and that's, you know, Instagram, um, Dr. Gertrude Lyons on LinkedIn. um, And I also have a website, drgertrudelyons.com. So those are the best ways. Thank you. And she also has her own podcast and my podcast. Oh my gosh. What is it called? (laughs) it's called mother and it's rewriting the mother code with Dr. Gertrude Lyons and guests. So I'm hoping to have you two on sometime. I would love that. That would be really fun. uh, We've never done that. We've never been on someone podcast. Oh oh my gosh. Well, that would be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate right. That we are able to have this space and this moment. And I hope that this episode resonates with uh, many of us and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dr. Lyons. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you both so much. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.